0: Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast series. My name is Jacob Emerson. I'm an Associate News Director with Becker's. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by two leaders from Hello Heart. Dr. Ito Paz is a cardiologist and Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs, and Victoria Andrews is a Senior Director of Solutions Consulting. Victoria, Dr. Paz, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Uh, To start us off, Victoria, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what led you to Hello Heart and, and to healthcare in general?
1: Hi, Jacob. Thanks so much. So nice to be here. Really appreciate that. My background really comes from the primary care landscape. So I'm a family nurse practitioner. So I've worked in that space for about 20 years. And really, what's I think the opportunity that I got excited about with Hello Heart is this idea of really blending digital technology and tools with the opportunity to to enhance the patient experience, to enhance the health and well-being of patients and members of plans. And so I get really excited about getting folks into lifestyle change and behavior change. And so I think there's a a real opportunity to connect folks with tools that can support their journey.
0: Fantastic. Well, we're excited to have you here. And Dr. Paz, how about you? Why did you decide to become a cardiologist and what led you to Hello Heart? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: I think I was destined to become a cardiologist going back to high school. Um, At the time, my father, who I'll start by saying he's doing great today, had a, a triple bypass surgery. And it was just amazing to see the transformation that he's had in the intervening 20 plus years, changing his lifestyle, new medications, following closely with his cardiologist. It was just, an amazing transformation. And his cardiologist has been such a trusted advisor for him and really part of our family. And it was something that I wanted to be part of for my patients. In terms of why digital health, I think digital health is a perfect complement to the tools that doctors use. We have a particular skill set around diagnostics and treatments and medications, um, but there's so many other areas where we don't do the best job diet, lifestyle, medication adherence, tracking. And I think digital tools are so promising because they can help us really close those gaps.
0: Wonderful, well, good to hear that your father is doing well today, Ido. And that kind of leads us right into where I wanted to start talking with you both. Uh, And it's about a major issue in the US today, the leading cause of death, and that's heart disease. It costs more than $200 billion annually, And it's obviously a huge concern across the healthcare spectrum, including with payers. So, you know, maybe you could take us a step back and talk about what are some of the top risk factors of heart disease today? And and how are certain populations more impacted by it than others?
2: I think the focus on risk factors is absolutely right. And that's because 80% of cardiovascular disease is preventable. And it's preventable by focusing on those key risk factors that you're alluding to. Um, The two big ones we talk about are high blood pressure and abnormal cholesterol, but other risk factors are diabetes, smoking, obesity, poor diet, physical inactivity. The thing that we should know about risk factors is two things. They're very common, and we're not doing a great job treating them. So when it comes to how common they are, almost half of American adults have high blood pressure. That's 116 million people. 86 million have high cholesterol that should be treated with medications and we're not doing a good job treating them. So among those with high blood pressure, 80% of people do not have it under control. Among those 86 million people who should be taking a medicine for high cholesterol, only half are doing so. So the focus on risk factors is exactly right. In terms of populations, actually it's the leading killer across all different groups. It's the leading killer for men and women Um, It affects all age groups. Yes, it is more common in older adults, although one third of those um, cardiovascular events are occurring in people younger than age 65. It occurs across various different kind of race and ethnicities. Um, So really everyone is at risk for heart disease and it's no surprise that it is so common. And um, it's also something that we're hearing about from our clients. You know, cardiovascular disease or heart disease is always in the top, when it comes to spend and prevalence among their population, top three, oh, usually top three, always top five among our clients.
0: So we're not doing a good job at treating it, it sounds like, and if that's across demographics. Can you talk then about what, what challenges physicians are facing when caring for these patients? Um, and that could be during or after appointments. And how are those kind of affecting the care that the patient receives?
2: Absolutely. Um, so as I said earlier, I think... There's things that doctors do very well, so um, we can create a beautiful care plan. All right, take take this medication. Come back in two weeks so we can check your blood pressure, do a serial blood test. Um, come back to me three months after that. But ultimately, the hard work of enacting the care plan falls on the patient alone, um, and it is hard work because a lot of it has to do with lifestyle. You know, taking medications, changing diet changing exercise habits losing weight really all the hard work is up to the patients and it's happening when they're not in front of the doctor right you know a patient with hypertension might see me two or three times a year a patient with um, high cholesterol might see me once or twice a year so so what's happening those other 363 days when they're not in front of me in the office I mean that's that's the real challenge Um, Victoria anything to add there
1: I do think it is challenging as a provider both in the specialty kind of landscape Edo where you sit from a cardiology perspective and then also from the primary care kind of lens and I really think if we can get tools in the hands of a patient that can really support their day-to-day habit like is mentioning that helps build those lifestyle choices and really empowering them to understand their condition We assume patients can remember everything we say in in an appointment um, and and really in their day-to-day, those choices can be difficult. And so, for example, helping women understand their increased risk for heart disease and how those symptoms might be different and continuing to support them with that health education once they're outside of the four walls um, of a clinic or care center. I think not only you know empowering the patient, but then also bringing back great data to the provider so you can see more data points around what's happening in their day-to day. You can help c- complete some of those gaps in cares that we're often seeing uh, within their care planning and then really have that more informed conversation between patient and provider and creating those collaborative care plans. We see payers stepping in with um, remote patient monitoring tools often. You know, you know, I think we're hearing a lot more about that uh, in the marketplace, but many of those still place that onus on the provider. And so I think we can do a much better job of getting patients in the driver's seat of their care. know, how much are you seeing those in, in the remote patient monitoring space in, in your practice?
2: I think adoption of remote patient monitoring among clinicians is quite low. And a lot of that has to do with um, the need to create workflows. You know, how are you going to get the device to the patient? How is the data going to get back to the clinician? Who's going to be checking that data? What happens if the blood pressure is really high? What happens if the finger stick glucose is really low? You know, these are all very important questions. And um, a lot of providers, they're not utilizing RPM because of uh, some of these challenges.
0: Interesting to hear you both talk about this. And, and Victoria, I appreciate you mentioning where payers are, are maybe falling a little bit behind providers in supporting healthier lifestyles. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about digital therapeutics and other engagement strategies and how those can play a role in managing heart disease?
1: Definitely. I think we... We often make assumptions that people know a lot about heart disease or everything there is to know about heart disease, even when they're diagnosed with a particular condition, let's say high blood pressure or high cholesterol, but the reality of learning to live with and manage a chronic condition takes time. And I would say consistent reinforcement of health education, as well as frequent opportunities to really make small lifestyle changes that become habits over time. So I think a digital therapeutic that's designed well uh, with the patient at the center, and un- we also understand there's limitations of time in one's day and the challenges that one has, right? We all have within our daily life that, that really the best outcomes are driven by positive reinforcement of those small behavior changes uh, over time. So I'll use Hello Heart as a great example of really taking those kinds of concepts of positive reinforcement, understanding that it's going to be those small changes that snowball over time to make it fun, make it really simple, yet easy to understand their condition and their overall kind of cardiovascular health. So we look at the ability to track medications, to track blood pressure, to let, track cholesterol, their weight activity all in one place. And then they can see how those behaviors that they're working on over time is improving and and helping with their condition. And we're using different hook methodologies that a lot of social media type platforms will use and different tactics to keep patients engaged and consistently using the program, but not impeding on their day-to-day responsibilities, understanding that that these need to be small, digestible nudges over time that they can include in their day-to-day. And so that's really, I think, what we see from a Engagement strategy around therapeutics that it needs to be patient and day to day friendly uh, for our users.
0: And that's so cool to hear you talk too about how you're using social media tactics, but to improve people's lifestyles through through nudges, like you mentioned. Um, Edo, uh, effectively managing chronic conditions like, like hypertension, I imagine that requires a lot of motivation, tracking, just general behavioral changes for for patients, so how do you think that digital therapeutics and other engagement strategies can start to address some of these challenges?
2: Yeah, so, so you're right. Um, the, from the provider's view, I think the thing that's important to remember is that the treatment plan can be complex. Like I said earlier, take a med, come back, get blood work, adjust meds, all while doing diet and exercise. I mean, we're asking patients to do really a lot. Um, and we need to make those items more doable, something that's a bit simpler so that patients can build really good habits. Um, Victoria, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one as well.
1: I, I think that we really have to make it simple, right? You have to make it simple, fun, and a great positive experience for that user if, if we want that kind of constant motivation and the behavior changes uh, over time. So if a user can see what's happening by them making those changes, that is going to see that that's working well and then make those improvements. It's an area of um, concept within positive psychology that that if they can make small changes in one area of their health, they're going to be more likely to feel capable and have the self-efficacy to do that in other areas uh, of their health. And I think our product team has done a great job of, creating a fun gamified, like we talked about with some of those social media tactics, um, an experience that keeps patients engaged. And what's been really interesting, I think, too, is as we look at, uh, we also have a population and the senior population over 65 who even see some higher uh, engagement metrics for those folks. So you really can create a fun gamified experience for for all ages, all, all kind of different you know, issues with conditions, different uh, aspects of their condition uh, with the di- digital therapeutic.
0: And so, Victoria, I'd love to hear about some of your success stories on the ground, what, what you're seeing in the day-to-day in terms of outcomes that, that payers can expect to see uh, in terms of their members, or the provider networks can or are seeing as a result of using Hello Heart specifically.
1: Yeah, Ido and I both get really excited about data. So we're, we're glad you asked that question. And maybe I'll start with the financial side. And Edo, you know, if you want to speak to the clinical outcomes that we've seen. We worked uh, w- alongside the Validation Institute performing a cohort analysis in our claims uh, to see if you know, this idea of improving clinical outcomes would also drive financial savings for our client. And we were able to show that people who used HelloHeart versus people who did not use HelloHeart could save their medical plan about $1,800 after one year of participation. And those savings came from the areas I think that we're all working towards, right? So uh, especially payers and plans, reduction in ER utilization and visit, reduction in hospital admissions and the number of days admitted, less high cost diagnostic imaging. But we did see an area of increase, about 52% increase in primary care preventive claims. So as you think about getting folks into the cost-effective locations of care to really be uh, managing chronic conditions, uh, like especially cardiovascular conditions that we've been talking about, really highlights the design of the program to make sure that folks are getting and staying engaged in the continuity of care with their providers and care teams they're working with. So that's some of the financial sides of, of things I'd love for Ido to share about the clinical outcomes that we're seeing.
2: Of course, we've got great clinical outcomes as well. Um, So, the one I want to talk about first is um, research that we published in a top tier medical journal, JAMA Network Open. It was the largest and longest trial of its kind, following over 28,000 patients for a period of up to three years. Um, And what we found was really interesting. Patients with stage two hypertension, which means a blood pressure above 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury, 84% of those patients achieved a reduction in their blood pressure, and that was sustained for up to three years. Um, And in terms of how much the reduction was, um, the improvement was substantial, 21 points or 21 millimeters of mercury. Um, That's twice as good as other published results. Um, We also have other data, so specifically focusing on um, patients above the age of 65. We have internal data which shows that those patients actually have a similar reduction to younger patients. Um, And they actually engaged more with the app than younger patients. They used it about twice as much as younger users, which I thought was really interesting.
0: I mean, good to hear. Good, improved outcomes, a big uptick in preventive care, and $1,800 in savings annually for payers. Uh, Amazing numbers. Victoria, any closing thoughts, key takeaways you'd like to share with our listeners today?
1: I think the, the often that I come back to is this opportunity that Uh, payers, plans, uh, provider networks have is to that we really can impact cardiovascular health and and really shift the needle there. We don't have to continue to kind of kick the can down the road and just accept that it's going to be in the top three to five area of spend or prevalence, but we really can have a sense of urgency and start to really focus on cardiovascular health as its own category and really needing to dig deep into making adjustments so that those outcomes we can really shift over the long long term and see those positive, positive gains. And, and you know, I would hope to shift the needle and maybe we can see a downturn in prevalence uh, in the upcoming years by really taking a, a strong approach and strategy to, to dealing with cardiovascular health.
0: Wonderful. And Ito, your final thoughts for us?
2: Yeah, I think we've advanced so much in our understanding of heart disease, diagnostics, treatments, advanced treatments, but we're not doing a very good job of treating patients with heart disease, treating the risk factors that we spoke about earlier. So I do think there's an urgent need to change this. Um, And I think that digital tools can help. They can complement the tools that doctors are using. They can lead to better patient engagement. And I think the good clinical outcomes and the good financial outcomes are gonna follow. So I think it's great that we're doing this talk and glad to have had the opportunity to participate.
0: Fantastic. Well, Victoria, Dr. Paz, thank you so much for, for your time, for your excellent insights for us today. I'd also like to thank Hello Heart as well for sponsoring this episode. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You can tune in to more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com/podcasts.